and welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour here at Amazing Facts. My name is Carlos Munoz. I am the AFCO director for Amazing Facts and I am also associate speaker. And so I will be sharing you this week's lesson titled Mission to the Needy. Before we get started, we have a free offer, a free gift that we always like to give and it is titled The Holy Spirit, The Need, right? We would call it Our Greatest Need. If you're interested in this free gift, please call 1-866-788-3966. Ask for offer number 723. You can also text, if you're in the United States, the letters SH099 to number 40544, and you will also get a digital copy. And this, of course, you can also go on our website for this. So this is the free gift that we have for you. And so before we get into our study lesson, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, just this beautiful study lessons that we've been doing. And we ask now as we're going to come together, Father, and open your word and share that your spirit guide us, direct us, and be with us so that everything that may be spoken may be to draw us closer to you and draw us closer to others, which is uh, the manifestation of your love in us. And so we thank you, Father, for this opportunity and this blessing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the lesson this week... Uh, lesson number eight is titled uh, Mission to the Needy, right? And so the question that we ask ourselves is, who are those in need? Sometimes when we think about people that are in need, we like to think about people uh, that live in poverty, right? People that are being uh, displaced, people that are refugees, people that have been driven from their country, for example, in the case of uh, Ukraine, but really, when you think about it, we are all needy, right? What does it mean that we, we all have needs? Everybody has a physical need, an emotional need, a, 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 a social need. Everybody has needs, right? And so at some point, we all have our needs, and our needs need to be met and supplemented to and ministered to, right? So when we study this topic, I don't want us to think about the needy as those others, right? Those others that are in X or Y situation, but also include yourself in it because we are all part of this human family that is in suffering and in pain, and we all have needs on a number of different levels. Now, to begin our study, I would like for you to join me, please, in Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we have what we know or we call the Beatitudes, right? La Bienaventuranzas. And I want to just go through them because I think the Beatitudes do something fascinating. The Beatitudes show us a progression. It shows us a point where we are starting in our Christian experience and how we grow and move into that Christian experience or how we go deeper into it, into our Christian experience, where we move from being babies, right, to being grown, mature, adult, Christian adults. And so we don't want to stay as Christian babies, right? It's good to be a baby because we all need to be born again and we all start there. But we want to continue to grow. And I like how Matthew chapter 5 points to this and I believe grabs the very essence of this lesson. Matthew chapter 5, it says in verse number 3, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor in spirit. Notice it doesn't say poor in money. It doesn't say poor in resources. It says poor in spirit. And who are those that are poor in spirit? Well, it's everyone, right? We all begin there. We are bankrupt spiritually, right? And so Christ is saying from the very beginning, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And why is this important? Because it's the first step in our Christian experience is to recognize that spiritually we are poor. We have nothing really to bring to the table, right? God is the one through the everlasting covenant that is promising, that is giving all the gifts of the Spirit. And He gives us through the Holy Spirit, which is, of course, through Christ who is interceding on our behalf. Christ is imparting His righteousness as our high priest. And the Holy Spirit is the instrument through which Jesus Christ is imparting those blessings, right? Those spiritual blessings. And so the first thing is that we don't have anything to bring to the table. All we do, all we can bring is our heart. All we can bring is our surrender to God to let God do what He wants. Now look at the next one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now mourn about what? Well, mourn about our spiritual condition, right? We see it. We see how we are. We see how selfish we are. We see how self-centered we are. We see how, how, how inefficient we are. We see how we cannot reach that high standard of what the righteousness of God reveals. And so we mourn because of our poor spirit, right? But what does Jesus say? He says, but they shall be comforted. Why? Because we know we have a comforter. We know we have the spirit. We know we have Christ. We know we have the father that are there. We know we have the angels that are ministering to us, ministering the plan of salvation. And so we are receiving comfort through God, through his word, through his promises. Now look at the next step. You are poor in spirit. You begin to mourn that condition. You're comforted. And what happens? Blessed are the meek, right? When you come across the gospel, when you come across the everlasting gospel, you start to notice your condition. You mourn it. You receive comfort in the word of God that God says, do not worry, my son. I forgive you. I receive you. I accept you. And now I impart to you my blessings. And what happens? You're filled with humility, right? With meekness. Why? Because you realize that everything that you are, everything that you have, and everything that you give does not come from us, but it comes from God. They are all gifts of God. And God is the one that is giving us every aspect, the life, the repentance, the spirit. Everything is a gift from God, right? And so that should fill us with humility, in that sense, some of us are, are on our high horse, right? Like Paul was when he was persecuting uh, God's people. He was on his high horse and God had to knock him off this horse. Some of us sadly are on our high horse and we're going to talk about that in a second when we get into more into the lesson. And then it continues to say, blessed are, in verse number six, blessed are those who hunger for thirst and righteousness, right? Notice, you start off poor. You mourn because of that condition, but you are comforted by the promises and the word of God. You then become meek as God gives his gifts. And then what happens? And then you become hungry and thirsty for righteousness. You desire to live a righteous life. You desire to live a life that honors and glorifies God. You desire to live for his glory. You desire to minister to others because that is the essence of the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ had two main points or two main emphasis. If we want to know if we have the mind of Christ or we are more moving in that direction. What does it mean to have the mind of Christ, the faith of Christ, the character of Christ, the image of Christ? It's very simple. Number one, Jesus Christ, his number one priority over everything was to glorify and honor God the Father, to glorify and honor God the Father in everything that he did, everything that he said, everything that he was. And number two, which is based off of that, is to love others and minister to others and reach out to others, to save others, right? 
And so if that is our mindset also, if number one, everything that we do and everything we live for is for the glory of God and to honor God and to exalt God, and our heart is to be able to share the glory of God and to minister to others, then we are on the right track. We are moving in that direction. And notice how it then says, after you are hungry for righteousness and thirst for righteousness, what does it say? Verse number seven, blessed are the merciful, right? Because when you are seeking righteousness, then you become merciful. You become compassionate in this sense. Now, mercy and compassion is not about seeing someone, if you're driving down the road and you see somebody that has a need and be like, ay bendito, that's how we would say in Puerto Rico, ay bendito, no, right? Oh, poor thing, and you just keep on driving or walking past it. That's not what it means to be merciful or compassionate biblically. You see, the thought must be accompanied with the action. If not, it is not, it is not the foundation of what it is. The thought itself is not it, but the action has to be included. So to be compassionate, to be merciful means to see somebody in need and to do what? And to go and minister to that need, amen? To go and reach out to that and, and help that person in that need in that moment. That's what it means to be compassionate and merciful. And that comes from what? From this process that we're, following, that we're following. And notice what it says in verse number eight. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. And so as God is doing this work of, of, of sanctification, as he's re- restoring his character in us, right? We see this process goes. And because we are ministering, because we are serving others, because we are reaching out to others, what happens? Our heart is becoming pure. That is the... the Powerfy, the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we are following the steps that God has established for us to be able to have the mind of Christ to be restored in that way. And then, of course, verse number nine, and blessed are the peacemakers, right? Who are the peacemakers? Because if you follow this process, then you will become a peacemaker. You will become somebody that is not creating chaos and distinction and friction wherever it may be, whether it be in the family, whether it be in the work environment, whether it be at church. No, you will be a peacemaker. It's interesting because in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats, right? The sheep are on the right hand, the goats are on the left hand. Now, I like how he uses these two animals because these two animals are very characteristic of something interesting. Because how are sheep? Sheep are meek. They're humble, right? Some people think they're dumb because a sheep is like basically if he takes two steps to the right and he doesn't hear the voice of his pastor, he's lost, right? And so people think, oh, they're dumb. But that's the Bible says that we are in that way. We are, we are lost. If we take one or two steps away from our pastor, we also are lost. If we're not listening to the voice of our pastor, we also can be lost, right? And so we are so dependent on our pastor. But what happened? And of course, our pastor is Jesus Christ. But what happens with the goats? How are goats? Oh, goats Goats are not meek and humble. Goats are, right? They chew and they eat everything. They destroy everything. They're always fighting. They're always butting heads. Ask yourself, my brother and my sister, what are you? Are you a sheep or a goat? Ask yourself in your family, in your, in your neighborhood, in your working environment, in church, are you an instrument of peacemaking? Are you an instrument of joining? Are you an instrument of reconciliation? Or are you part of the problem? I remember... I had a, one time I did an evangelistic series in Miami with uh, Pastor Adalberto Torres, right? I don't know if he's watching, but hello, Pastor. And um, he's uh, from Cuba. He's 50 years in pastoral ministry. And he told me something that I have never forgotten in my life. This is at the beginning of when I was doing evangelism almost 
10 years ago. And he told me, you know, Carlos, I have never had issues in church with consecrated church members. I have never had an issue, issues in church with consecrated church members. Why? Because consecrated church members know how to deal and solve their problems, right? We come together in prayer and humility and we look for consensus. We look for Bible-based answers and we follow that on our, in the way that we are Unconsecrated church members are what the Bible calls carnal Christians, fleshly Christians. It's about me. It's about selfishness. It's about the way I want, the things that I want. And when things aren't done the way that I want, when things aren't done the way that I expect, then what happens? Oh, then I'm going to leave or I'm going to break away or I'm going to whatever may be the case. I think you're understanding the case. And then, of course, it ends with blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because at the end, those that choose. This is a, a model of what the Christian life should be. What happens next is that eventually you will be persecuted because where there is light, darkness cannot be and darkness does not want that to be there. And so darkness is going to fight back, right? And so that is the case eventually. And so as we get into our study lesson, I just thought that that was a beautiful way of presenting, right? The heart, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. It leads us to what? It leads us to that experience where we are ministering to others, where we are searching for others in that sense and in that way. And so that is really what we're looking at. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ, when we as Christians are imitators of Christ, when we are followers of Christ and we look at his life, we see that Jesus Christ focused. The, the thing that Jesus did more than anything, more than speaking, was ministering to people's needs. That's the main thing that he did. Definitely he spoke. Definitely he did many things. But ministering to people's needs was probably the primary thing in the life of Jesus Christ. And the reason is why. Well, as the AFCO director at Amazing Facts, Amazing Facts is AFCO is the AFCO Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. We train young people, older people, everybody, right? There's, there's no limit. We've had students from 17 all the way to recently we had a student that was in his 90s, right? Bless your heart, Brother Clyde. Uh, and what do these people come here? They come here because they want to learn how to do the work for God. They want to learn how to get into ministry. They want to serve God, right? Whether at their local church or they want to serve God full time or through their businesses or through whoever which may they be. And so at AFCO, you come to train. We train you how to do this work. We train you how, to, how, to, how you can fulfill the purpose and the mission that God has for you, which is the purpose of giving Him glory. Isaiah 43, 7, you are created for the glory of God, right? And we train people in this way. And so when we talk about this, we are trying to model, we are trying to see and study the life of Jesus Christ so that we can reproduce that in our own lives. Now, I want you to go with me, please, to the book of James. Go with me to the book of James, because in the book of James, there's a very important principle in regards to that. Right. In regards to the life of Christ was meeting others needs, everybody's needs, strangers, widows. Right. Uh, the, the poor, the lepers, uh, everybody, even the high Nicodemus, everybody had needs. And we find Jesus ministering to those needs. If you go with me to the book of James, let's go to chapter two, please. James chapter 2, I want to show you something beautiful about the ministry of Jesus Christ. James chapter 2, and look at what it says in verse number 8. It says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So notice, James is saying, inspired through the Holy Spirit, that what does it mean to really fulfill or live in harmony with the law of God? It means you shall love your, save, your neighbor as yourself. Now watch what he does now. You do well if you do that. But if you show partiality, 
right? You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In other words, when we say that we're Christians, when we say that we want to live in harmony with God's word, we will live in harmony with his law and his law is the essence of love, right? Because the law of God, as we know, is a reflection of the character of God. It's these 10 principles of righteousness that reveal the essence of the character of God. And so the law is an expression of that, an expression of love. And the character of God, the essence of God is love. And the essence of love is freedom. And so it says right here that when we truly are converted, we will love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I didn't say just love your neighbors. It's to love him as yourself. That's interesting. But you will not, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. Now that word partiality is very interesting. In some versions of the Bible, it will say respecter of persons, right? Well, what is partiality? If you study this, the, the concept in the Greek, it's very interesting. Partiality is to show favor, favoritism, or preference towards someone or a group over someone else or another group. Now, that's very interesting. Why? Because I have a question. Have you ever shown partiality or favor towards one person or one group or the, uh, over another person or another group? Uh, raise your hand if that hasn't happened. Of course it happened. It's happened to all of us, right? You see, nowadays in society, we have a very big problem. And one of the problems that we have, and, the, and this is contemplated in the Bible, for example, in Matthew 24, verse 6 uh, through 8, when it talks about the signs of the end, Jesus says, in this context, it says a nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? I'm like, wait a minute, what a nation and a kingdom? We think, well, a nation might be a democracy and a kingdom might be a monarchy. Yes, in a sense, it could be. But the word nation against nation is the word ethnos or ethnicity. And so what he's saying is that there are going to be kingdoms there are countries that are going to be fighting, but there's also going to be internal conflict in each of these kingdoms. And I have a question. Does every nation on this earth have also ethnic and internal conflicts? Yes, it does. And so Jesus says, as Christians, we should not be partaking of these issues. We should be, we are ministers of reconciliation. And so to show favoritism is what? Well, I, I'm not going to speak to this person or love this person or get to know this person or spend time with this person. Why? Well, because they're of this color. Well, because they live in this part of town and not in this town. Well, because they have this type of job. Oh, this person is a janitor, right? Oh, or vice versa. Oh, this person is a doctor. Oh, they think they're so better. It goes on both sides of the fence, right? These, these attitudes, these, these uh, carnal attitudes, right? Well, I'm not going to talk to this person because this person, oh, they're a Democrat or they're a Republican, right? They're a liberal, they're a conservative, or whatever may be the reason, this person is from this country, this person has this accent, this person dressed like this. Whatever the reason that you choose to favor or to look down on somebody or to not acknowledge somebody in that saint, you are committing sin, the Bible says. Because it says very clearly, for example, John in his letters, in the first, second, and third epistles of John, it says that love is the manifestation of God here. How do we show that we love God is by loving others, right? Loving your brother, loving your, your neighbor, loving your enemies in that sense. That's how, and that's the model of the life of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive them for they know that what they do. It says Jesus came to what? To save all sinners, every single person. And so if you are converted, if you are in the process of God restoring and transforming our hearts to reflect the character of Christ, one of the manifestations of the fruits of the Spirit is love. That is the first one, and the Bible says it is over faith 
in that sense. Now, it doesn't mean that faith is not important. It's not saying that. But is that love is the essence of everything. One of the biggest issues that we have with understanding God's love and divine love is human love. Because human love is so conditional. Human love is so limited, right? And so we associate to God what we ourselves experience. And so basically, God created us in His image and His likeness, and we return the favor back to Him. And so, because we are limited in our, in our way, and we think this is love, true love, the agape love of the Bible, is an unconditional love. And that's what it's saying here in the book of James, that we are to love everybody, no matter what color, what ethnicity, where they live, what, what job they do, no matter where they live in town, no matter what political affiliations, all of that is put aside in that sense. And we can see this very clearly also in the book of Matthew chapter 28. Go with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28 if you're there. We know this is known as the divine commission. But notice what Jesus says in the divine commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18. He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make what? Make disciples of all nations. Let's stop right there. What are we commanded to do? To make disciples of who? Of all nations. First of all, I cannot teach somebody to be a disciple if I am not a disciple. And what is a disciple? A disciple is not just a student. A student can go to class and go back home. A disciple is more than a student. A disciple is somebody that leaves their home and they go live with their rabbi or their teacher. This actually still happens today in the Hebrew culture, right? When a student wants to go to rabbinical school, they leave their home and they live with their rabbi. So before I can teach somebody what it means to live with Christ, to, to follow at the footsteps of Christ every day, to have him there every day and seeking his face and learning from him, before I can teach somebody else to do that, I have to, be, I have to do that. I have to be a disciple. But notice he says that we are to teach who? Make disciples of who? All nations, right? All ethnos, the same word. So our job, my brothers and my sisters, is to reach everybody independently of who they are, where they are. Our job is to go find them and seek them and minister to their needs. And so if you have the attitude of, I'm not going to do it to this person or this person because of their color or this person because of their ethnicity or this person because of their religion or this person because of their political affiliation, whatever it may be, you are transgressing the law, says the Bible, because our job is to put aside all those earthly differences and to look at the person as someone that Christ died for and to minister to their needs. That is our job. Now, it's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. I know. I know it could be challenging because we, we tend as humans with this fallen selfish nature, we tend to have inclinations. Now, it's, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's not wrong to have a group of people that you associate more closely with, right? We all have that family, we have a group of friends, people that we are more affiliated with, right? Whether it be because of the way we think or because of the interest that we have, that is normal. I'm not saying that that is wrong. What I'm saying is that when we deny ministering to others or speaking to others or reaching out to others, that's where the problem comes in this context. That's where the issue is because it says we are to love everybody, especially the church. So I have a question. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a question out at you and see how good we're doing. Do you know everybody in your church? Do you know the name of everybody in your church? Do you spend time at least saying hi, giving the person a hello, giving the person a hug, asking the person how you're doing, right? Well, I know the hug thing might be an issue because of some people, but I'm Hispanic and we hug and we kiss everybody, right? So I know that's not the same thing in all cultures. But anyway, the point is that do you, do you, do you try to get to know everybody? Now, 
here at the Granite Bay Hilltop Church. Our church is a big church. I'm not accustomed to such a big church, right? It might be a little bit more challenging because there are so many people in that sense, right? But do you at least make the effort to try to reach out and get to know people? To get to, to, to know them, to get to, to relate to them, right? And that's where the problem comes. You're like, I'm not going to talk to this group of people. I'm not going to talk to this person. I'm, because why? Because of this attitude in regards to uh, our prejudice and the way that we look and think about people in that sense. And so, what do we see in Scripture, right? We see, for example... And the lesson talks about the faith of friends, right? And we see how Jesus, it gives us the story of uh, the paralytic, right? And we see that Jesus, what did he do? We see how the friends, they cared so much about their friends, they took him to Jesus, right? And that is a symbol, that is a sign of a heart that is being transformed, that a heart that is being renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, is that you are going to want to take your friends and you are going to want to bring your friends to them. Now, when we talk about friends, let's, let's expand this a little bit. I like, in AFCO we teach, for example, the concept of the circle of influence. And you've probably heard this, some, this or something similar. The circle of influence are your friends, your family members, your co-workers, uh, the people that, your, your classmates. Anybody that you come in contact with, that is your circle of influence, right? And so as a pastor or as evangelist, uh, we're not able to reach everybody, right? We're limited. But you do have a circle of influence and as people in your in community. And that is your mission field. You don't, sometimes we think we have to go to China or to Africa or to India to do mission work. And don't get me wrong, praise God for the people that do it because that is important work and that is a, sac- a life of sacrifice to do those things. But sometimes we think that that's how mission work is done and we neglect our own mission field. We neglect the people that are in our own surroundings and you are in the family that you're in. You are in the job that you're in. You're in the neighborhood that you're in. You're in uh, the community that you are in. You are in that area with a purpose and a reason and it is to glorify God. This church is in this community, in this area to impact the lives of those that live in this city, that live in the towns and around. That is our job. That is our mission field. And so we see, my brothers and my sisters, that as followers of Christ and lovers denying self and those that have received the imparted righteousness of Christ, the imparted agape love of Christ that he manifested, that will be manifested in our lives too, how we will try and we will try to impact the lives of others. And what do we want to do? We want to bring them to Christ. Amen. We want them to know Christ. We want to reach them to Christ, right? And so Christ, when we see this, was always ministering and so to people in their needs. What is the purpose and why is this? It's very simple, brothers and sisters. It's because God wants them to be healed. God wants them to be restored. God wants them to be forgiven, to know that they are forgiven. God wants them to know that they have been accepted and are in God's favor. And whose job is that? It's our job. Because it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's when people are presented with the goodness of God and they see how good and merciful God is, then immediately that's, we sh- it shows us our selfishness and what happens to the human heart. The human heart is subdued. The human heart has realized how merciful and patient God is with us and that God wants to transform and restore us. And that leads to a new transformed heart, right? I'll give you an example. Rahab, I think this is one of my favorite stories in regards to this concept. Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. But not only was she a prostitute, she was a pagan prostitute, right? From Jericho. 
And what happens is that she was, she was the, the bottom of the bottom in regards to in Jericho. She was the worst of the worst, right? Because not only is she a prostitute, she's a pagan prostitute. So she was mistreated. She was used and abused by the people of Jericho. And what happens? She hears of the God of Israel. She hears of a God that made a powerful work and liberated his people from the Egyptian slavery. She hears that among those that were freed from Egypt, among the Israelites of God's people, there were Egyptians. She knows that the God of Israel accepts foreigners and receives everybody that wants to be part of his family. She hears about those news. And so when she sees at the, at the, on the walls of Jericho, and she sees the nation of Israel, she sees the, their mighty God with them, with the fire during the night, and the cloud protecting them during the day. And then they open the, uh, the, the Jordan River, cross over the Jordan River. She sees all of that, and she is probably yearning, would that God accept me? Would that God accept me? And so God sends two spies into Jericho. We are the spies, my brothers and my sisters. We are the ministers of reconciliation. We are the ministers that are to reach out and to go and seek. And what happens? They come across Rahab, right? Again, a Gentile, a foreigner, a prostitute. What Probably most of us would see Rahab and we'd be like, Ugh, look at her, right? Ugh, a prostitute came into church. Ugh, this. And these two spies, these two sons of God go and they present to her the everlasting gospel. The great news of the plan of salvation. The great news of the infinite and everlasting love of God for humanity. The great news that God is not at war. God is not uh, angry at humanity. God is in love with humanity. God has already put the condemnation on his son from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. The promise was made, 15 and 21, that what? That the seed would break the, the, the power of Satan over humanity. That the enmity that existed between humanity and God was going to be broken, right? That the harmony that existed between the enemy and humanity, that was going to be broken through the cross of Calvary, Genesis 3.21. And so we see then how the plan of salvation is showing us that God did everything to reconcile himself for us. God, Christ received the condemnation already and that God is seeking to be reconciled to us. God is not at war with us, my brothers and my sisters. God is not at enmity with us. God is in love with us. And so he's reaching out to us. And so when they present to Rahab the wonderful gospel, the good news that God loves her, that before God created her, God already knew her and loved her and was thinking about her. And it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that God had already accepted her in Christ. We all humanity accepted in Christ. Does that mean that everybody is saved? Of course not. That just means that God has opened the door to all humanity. Sadly, not all humans accept it. Not all humans walk through it. Not all humans want to receive the gift that God gives, which is the gift of redemption, of forgiveness, of sanctification, of all these wonderful and beautiful gifts that God wants to give us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens, Rahab says, that that God accepts me, that that God receives me, that that God thought about me before, she's presented the gospel. And what happens? The goodness of God, it says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, does what? Leads us to repentance. And when she saw that God, the God of Israel, accepts all people that accept him, right? She said, what? I give in to that God. Who says amen to that, right? And where is that woman today? That woman 
She is on the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She is on the family tree of Jesus Christ as a testament that God receives everybody. And so if God receives everyone, even a a prostitute from Jericho, my brothers and my sisters, who are we to not have the same mind and the same love for those people? Is everybody with me? Jesus did not go around, oh, he's a leper. I'm not. Jesus grabbed the leper. I love it because Jesus could have told the leper, you are healed. He didn't do that. What did Jesus do? Jesus hugged him. He touched him. Amen? Which is nobody would do that. He would be above and beyond to show his love for humanity by touching the leper and telling him, I'm not afraid of you. I love you. I care about your condition and I want to heal you. And that is our job. That is what we are here to do. We are here to do the works and the miracle and, and to follow in the ways of Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? How do we, for example, in AFCO, we teach what is known as the evangelism cycle, right? The evangelism cycle is broken to four main parts. Number one is your, your devotional life, your connection to God, your, your connecting with God. For example, I have a TV here on my right. It's a beautiful TV, right? It's a big TV. It has a lot of technological components. It has all these features, right? But this TV would not work if it is not connected to the power source. If I disconnect this TV, this TV with all its functions and its, and its gadgets and its buttons would be absolutely useless. It would not work. Why? Because it does not have that power being, being uh, conducted into it that is needed for all the gadgets and the buttons to be able to function and so the TV can do the impressive thing that it is made to do. In the same way, my brothers and my sisters, if we are not connected to Christ, if we do not have that daily connection and we are not in that loving, walking, daily, consistent relationship with Christ, His power will not be able to flow with us. And that is the power that is manifested. That is how God speaks to us. I'll give you an example. If I were to go to the gas station at 2 o'clock, the Bible does not tell me, Carlos, the person at the gas station right there, that person is going through a severe mental depression and they are contemplating suicide. The Bible does not tell me that. But the Holy Spirit will tell me that. And the Holy Spirit will connect, if I'm connected to God, will talk to me and guide me and direct me and speak to me and give me these types of instruction and these types of guidance so that I can then minister to that person's need because that person is in serious need. Is everybody with me? Amen? And so first we talk about the devotional life. Next, number two, friendship evangelism, which is what we're talking about in this lesson. Friendship evangelism is making friends, right? Now the question is, how do we make friends? How do we make friends? Or why do we make friends? Well, the good thing about friendship evangelism is that we're all friends to somebody, right? Hopefully we all have friends. I think most people have friends. You're not your friends just out of coincidence, my brothers and my sisters. God wants you to reach them for His glory, for His kingdom. And so what do we do? We, how do we make friends when we don't have friends? Well, we teach, there are a number of courses we teach at AFCO, but one of the things you do is you find their needs and you minister to their needs. Where do we see this? This is known as Christ's method alone, right? Some of you may have heard in regards to this quote, Christ's method alone, and we have it in the book, uh, Health, Ministry of Healing, Right? And it says that Christ's method alone is that which we will be able to reach the people. 
And so it's sympathizing with people. It's looking for their needs. We call it a hook. You want to find, everybody has a need. What is our job? Our job is to find that need and minister to that need. And when we minister to somebody's needs, what happens? Then they trust in us. Then they trust in us. And what comes from that? Friendship comes. That's friendship evangelism. Amen? That is ministering. That is where we are to be compassionate, merciful. And as Christ. We are to seek the needs of people so that we can minister to them, gain their trust and confidence, and what's the next step? Take them to Christ. Bible study or public evangelism. Personal evangelism, personal Bible studies, or public Bible studies, which would be public evangelism, is to take them to the feet of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why it says in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18 and 19, it says to, that we are to go... T- therefore to the world and make disciples of all nations and how do we make disciples it says right there in the same very verse it says teaching them the things that i have taught you in other words we are all called to be bible workers that's what we're all called to be jesus says we are to teach others about what he has taught us he's not talking just to the disciples he's not talking to the pastors he's talking to every single one of us you see sometimes we are so focused on being compassionate and about ministering to people's needs that when we minister to their needs, right, we, we appease our conscience, we check off the box on our little SDA checklist, we're like, ooh, I just helped the poor, or I just did this, or I just did that, and then we take a, the selfie, right, and we like it, and to appease our conscience, but that's not the purpose of that. The purpose of ministering to their needs is so that we can what? We can then take them to Christ. The purpose of ministering to people's needs is so that we can then take them to the next step in that saying, that's what the method of Christ is. Amen? And so we have that, those four steps, which is uh, devotional life, friendship evangelism. Then what? Taking them to Christ, giving them Bible studies, teaching them about the Word of God. And then the fourth step is, of course, nurturing these new believers into baptism and training them. Training them into what? Into the evangelism cycle, right? That's the foundation of personal evangelism. So if you're thinking about maybe God has been talking to your heart. Maybe God has been telling you I, 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 that you need to have a deeper connection, that you are called to do great things for God. And you're like, but I don't know what to do, God. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to go about. Come to AFCO, afco.org. Find out more information and we will help you. AFCO is like a springboard to ministry so you can see all the different things that you can do for God and God could use you to minister in that sense. And so that's what we're talking about here, right? I want to show you a Bible verse that manifests The ministry of Jesus Christ in summary, right? In action. What is the gospel in action? What is the life of Jesus Christ manifested in bread and butter and rice and beans, right? Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We were already there. But go with me to Matthew chapter 5 and look at what it says in verse 23. To me, this verse explains, details, simplifies gospel in action. And notice what it says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. What did Jesus Christ do? Matthew 5, 23. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not the one. It's 4, 23. 4, 23. Here it is. Matthew 4, 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Amen? And notice this. What people were this? Were these only the Jews? Were these only the people in his, in his circle of influence? It says in verse 24, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases, torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, 
and he healed them all. And great multitudes followed him from where? From Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. My brothers and my sisters, notice how Jesus Christ was ministering to everyone. He transcended. He was not a respecter of persons. He had no partiality. He went to minister everybody. Doing what? Teaching, preaching, and healing. That is your ministry and my ministry if we are to be followers of Christ. Well, well I'm not a preacher, Carlos. I don't go up and I don't do public evangelism. That could be. And while preaching is definitely uh, from a pulpit or in front of a, a group or public evangelism is one way of preaching. That is not the primary way of preaching. The primary way of preaching, it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. The primary way in which we preach is through our witnessing, through our example. Is everybody with me? Isn't this beautiful? You see, that way you're not saying, well, that's the pastor's job, or that's the elder's job, or that's the evangelist's job. No. You and I, my brothers and my sisters, we are called to witness. That is the main way the gospel is preached. It's through our lives. It's the way we speak, the way we act, the way we dress, the way we eat, the way we live. We are all preaching a sermon. You've probably heard that before, right? You are a sermon. You are a pulpit. You are an evangelist. And so our job is that people are looking at us and they are seeing the gospel. The question is, which gospel do they see? Right? Do they see the gospel according to Jesus Christ? Or do they see the gospel according to Carlos Muñoz Acosta? Right? And me living my selfish ways and my prideful ways. In that sense. And so this is what we're called to do. It is through our witnessing that people see the love of Christ in us. And then they can listen. Before they can listen to a doctrine, they have to see that you are with the doctor of all healings. Amen. And so it says here that Jesus Christ, he healed every single one. You know why multitudes followed Jesus Christ? Yes, many followed him for the fish and for the bread, definitely. But the majority that were following Jesus Christ, they were following him because of one word, and that word is hope. In this man, they saw hope. In this man, they saw healing, healing that they could not find. Is our society broken? Physical healing, huge problem, right? With all the cancer and all these things. Mental healing, my brothers and my sisters. It is an epidemic of mental health that we have in our country across all lines. Suicide rates, depression, anxiety, it's crazy. Jesus was the one that healed it. And I know this because my brothers and my sisters, I used to be severely depressed. I used to be suicidal. If you've never heard my testimony before, I was depressed. I even contemplating committing suicide. I was, and the, and the deeper I got into my depression, the deeper I got into drinking and drugs and partying and just living la vida loca, right? And what happened? My brothers and my sisters, it's not until I hit rock bottom that I looked up and I started to search for a greater meaning in life. It had no meaning, no purpose. And it is through studying and reading the Word of God. I took no pill. I went to no doctor. I went, I'm sorry, let me say that again. I went to no earthly doctor. I went to the heavenly doctor. And as I started to spend time in the word of God, it's a long story how I went from there to here. But as I started to spend time in reading the Bible, just me and God, nobody taught me, took me there. Nobody brought me there. It was just me and God. 
and reading the promises, reading the Word of God, my heart was being healed. I was being transformed. I was being pulled away from the world as I drew closer to God. I drew closer away from the world. And God is the one that healed me and restored me. doesn't mean that I don't have my down days. doesn't mean that I don't have my days, right? It's normal. That's part of the human experience. But I do not suffer that depression and that, that, that controls you and that freezes you. I do not suffer from... Why? Because Christ gave me victory over those things, my brothers and my sisters. And that is what we are to do. We are to reach the needy. Again, going back to the needy. There's need because of resources and poverty. And, re- and that's definitely a need that we also are to minister. But we're talking about in this context also the needy, the m- emotional needy, right? The, the, those that are depressed, those that are overwhelmed, those that just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It is our job to be ministers of reconciliation to minister to the needs and there are all types of need and you and me my brother we also have needs now we have to go to God so that he can minister to our needs and he can fulfill those needs amen but sometimes remember we're all going to go have our ups and downs and we always need somebody to give us an extra push an extra hand even here on earth and so God is trying to show us that this is what we are to do this is our part amen and so We talk about then in this lesson, one of, I think, a very important part and one dear to my heart is the topic of refugees and immigrants, right? It pains me to see how uh, we have what we know as this border crisis and we see people fleeing from Central America, South America, and even other parts of the world that come there to try to flee and to come into our country and, and, and people are just in such need. And the question is, how do we, who profess to be a Christian nation, how do we, to profess to be followers of Christ, how do we think and treat these people is a reflection of who we are as a people. And so, I just thought it was interesting. I went and I did a study in regards to all the parts of the Bible where it talks about foreigners, where it talks about strangers, where it talks about refugees, right? The Bible doesn't use the word refugees, but it does talk about the concept of the stranger, the sor- I think the word in English is the sojourner, something like that. If I said it wrong, I'm sorry. Um, I'll just say the stranger. The Bible talks about how are we who are God's people to, uh, to, to react, to think, to, to want to minister to them. Look at just a few verses here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 through 2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Leviticus 19, 33. When a stranger uh, sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall teach the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you also were a stranger in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God, right? And so we also, because of what Adam and Eve did, humanity pulled away from God. We rejected And what did God do? He received us as his own. He adopted us back into his family, right? John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It doesn't say that you love just a Jew or the church member or your family members or those of your same race or your same ethnicity. No, to love. Deuteronomy 10, 19. Love the foreigner, therefore, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. Matthew 5, 46. For this is the love that... For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, I can go on and on and on, quote and verse and verse after verse in regards to how we are to love others. We are to love 
uh, the strangers. We are to love those, the foreigners, the ne- anybody, it says very clearly. There's one quote that really stood out to me here. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, remember true judgment. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against them in your heart. Ooh, I mean, there is just always, and I'll, I'll close with this quote in regards to the verses that I have here. There's a quote that really stuck out to me, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us. And when it says us, he's talking about all humanity. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? And so this holier-than-thou than attitude that we have sometimes, oh, well, I'm a Christian, or I'm, I'm from this denomination, or I'm from this denomination. And, and if you're looking down at others, you are then, by essence and by definition, not living and not converted into the love of Christ, if that is your attitude towards other people. And so I know that it is challenging. I know that we have difficulties and relationships that are very challenging on this earth. And sometimes ethnicity and religion and these things are a cause of it. But we are not to follow in the ways of the world. We are to be above that. What higher calling than to love your enemy? (sighs) Crazy. What higher calling than to love the one that is foreign from you, that is different from you? Isn't that what Jesus did as we see in the story of the Good Samaritan? Right? The Good Samaritan... You had the Levite come by, you had the priest come by, who are supposedly the leaders, right? The pastors, the elders of of the church. And who came? A Samaritan, which was a sworn enemy of Israel, right? They hated each other, and you know the stories in Scripture. That goes back from way before the days of when the Promised Land was taken. And those those lands were not conquered properly. And then you have the issues with... um, Uh, the tribes of the north being conquered by the Assyrians and the Samaritans in the mixture, sworn enemies of Israel. But it was a Samaritan, a foreigner, that came and helped that person that was beaten up and put down. And who is that foreigner that came from a different land to help one of God's people? It was Jesus Christ, right? He represents the good Samaritan that comes to help this people on this earth, God, uh, a human race. And what did he do? He, he healed him. He cleaned him. He then did what? He then took him to the inn. He paid the innkeeper, said, watch over him until I come back. That is our job, my brothers and my sisters. You and I are supposed to be good Samaritans, right? And that's what Jesus shows us. That's what Jesus teaches us. Do we do these things, right? Sometimes even we walk by and we see somebody in need and we just throw money at them, you know? What did I, if I come across somebody that is in need, I try to minister to that need as best as I could. I'm not always good at it. I, I, I don't always live up to the high expectation. But I try. If somebody is hungry, hey, take the person to eat. Always have with you literature. Always have with you something. For example, go around with literature from your local church, right? With, a, with an invitation, a stamp. Minister to somebody. Do something and then say, hey, listen, come to church on Sabbath On Saturday, we have potlucks, right? Come join us to service. Find ways to minister to their needs. There's so many different ways. We just don't have time to go through all of it. But I hope the essence of this lesson was presented to you, my brothers and my sisters. And at the end of the day, it's not about, oh, I've got to do this, and I've got to help the poor, and I've got to help the needy, and I've got to help the refugees. That's not necessarily a bad thing to think. 
But the essence of it is that we need a new heart. That's the essence of it. We need a new heart. And when God changes our heart, those things will come naturally to want to minister to other people. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 25, for example. He says, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're like, when did we do this? They are not even aware of their works because it comes natural to them, right? Contrary, Lord, we healed in your name. Lord, we did this in your name. Lord, we did this. The, our little checklist of things that we do good and the things that we don't do that are wrong, right? In the Bible, there's only one person that makes a checklist of the good things they do and the bad things they don't do, and that's the Pharisee. And so it's not about coming through and saying, oh, let me get the checklist. Now, it's not bad to have uh, um, goals and methods and be like, you know what? But at the end of the day, it's, is our heart converted? Do we have a new heart? Because that's what's going to make the difference. And so how does that come? Through a relationship with God. You see, if we don't, if we don't serve God, it's because we don't love God. If we don't love God, it's because we don't know God. If we don't know God, it's because we don't spend time with God. And if we don't spend time with God, it's because we have other priorities. When we make God our priority, we will serve, we will get, spend time and find time for God. When we find time with Him, we will know Him. When we know Him, we will fall in love with Him. And when we fall in love with Him, we will serve Him and serve others. Right? You can take that to the bank. The Holy Spirit taught me that five-finger rule. It's not mine, no copyright. You can go ahead and use it if you want to. But that's the essence of it. Are we connected to God? Do we know God? Do we love God? Because if you are not in love with God, you will not be in love with the work that God has shared to us to minister and to seek others and to find them. And so I hope this lesson was a blessing to you as it was to me. There's so much more we can talk about, but time is over. I want to remind you our special gift that we're giving out the Holy Spirit, the need. That's what we're talking about. We need the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that He can change and transform our hearts, that Christ can dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. We can be new creatures, a new heart, and we can be transformed. If you're interested in this, one 866 Ask for offer number 723, or you can text us if you're in the United States, the letters SH number 099. Text that to 40544. And you will receive a digital copy. I hope you were blessed as I was blessed sharing this time with you. And remember, if you want to learn more and you want to become a soul winner for God and learn how to do the work, come to AFCO. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessing, for the guidance, for the love, for your patience, your mercy. We thank you for we, all, we see all this perfectly manifested in Jesus Christ. And it is only with having Christ dwelling in us the hope of glory that these things, that His life can be reproduced in us and we can show your glory on this earth as Jesus did. We ask, Father, that you help us to make you our priority, to seek you first, to know you first, to have that relationship so that you can do what you need to do in us and through us. And we ask and beg these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.